We invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to Psalm 139, the book of Psalms, and Psalm 139, and as we open up the Scriptures together right here, any elementary kiddos are welcome to uh, gather out in uh, the foyer for the beginning of a children's worship uh, time together, but uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this uh, chapter, this text on page 505, and I would encourage you, as always, to open up a copy of God's Word so that uh, you can follow along together as we uh, read the Scriptures uh, today. And we are, as uh, as has been shared and as seen in the bulletin, we're in a, a series for the month of January on being kingdom people. What does it mean to be kingdom people? And today, leaning into what does it mean to have kingdom values uh, and uh, what does it mean to, to seek and to follow the Lord as His people? And let me just remind you of an opportunity upcoming later this month, uh, uh, and that is, um, well, not later this month, really later uh, this week, Friday night and Saturday morning, an Express Your Faith disciple-making seminar uh, at Samford University. Uh, in partnership with a number of churches in our city and some other ministries uh, sponsored by Real Life. And so if you're uh, seeking the Lord's guidance and, and knowing how better to engage those that are unbelievers and come alongside them and invest in them uh, with the gospel, this would be a great uh, opportunity to uh, be equipped in that way, Friday night and Saturday morning. And uh, if you've got questions about that, certainly see Kevin Bolin, our discipleship pastor. Uh, you can visit the website and uh, of real life and see a bit more about that opportunity. But this morning we're in Psalm 139. Earlier we sang uh, together at the beginning of our time, God of creation, all-powerful, all-wise, Lord of the universe, rich with surprise, maker, sustainer, and ruler of all. We are your children. You hear when we call. What a beautiful expression of praise to God. Let me ask you, before we read the scripture this morning, like when you think about God, when you hear about God, what do you, what do you think of? You think about God, what comes to mind? Of course, hymns help us in this way. For centuries, believers have expressed their, their faith through hymns, through confessions, through creeds, uh, perhaps uh, the most famous and One of the longest lasting creeds, the Apostles' Creed, begins this way. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do we know what we profess? What does it mean that God is almighty? Well, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 139, one of the most beautiful expressions of faith in the almighty creator, a declaration of who he is. And how God cares for us. And and here's the truth. I think the key truth that I want us to glean from the text today, it's this. It's that God's character comforts his people. God's character comforts his, his people. In other words, who God is, is good for us. Even those... Uh, characteristics of God that might initially cause a level of discomfort can and should ultimately be comforting to those who know and and serve the king of of all kings. And so as we open the word this morning, let's be comforted uh, by the word today. If you find your place in Psalm 139, let me 
invite you, all who are able, would you stand for the reading of, of God's Word? Of course, we heard this text at the beginning of our time. We're going to look at it in, in four sections. I'm just going to read the first six verses for now. But let's hear the word. David writes, he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Would you pause with me in prayer? Father, we pray that you would instruct us now. Pray that you would guide us now. We pray that you would speak to us now clearly through the reading, through the proclamation of your word by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, God knows us completely. God knows us, every single one of us. God knows us completely. That's the truth that David's expressing in these opening verses, these first six verses. No, no one knows us like God knows us. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Like many of the Psalms, this one's filled with figurative uh, language, poetic imagery that portrays rich, deep theological truth. The word search here is uh, the word that would be used to describe spies searching out land or, or miners searching for, for precious rock. But God doesn't actually have to search us to find out about us. Uh, he, he already knows But it's as if he has undergone a search to get to know us and found out all there is to know about us. David says, you you know when I sit and when I rise, verse 2. Verse 3, you you discern my going out and my lying down. Two extremes to make a point, a figure of speech, a, a merism that uses two extremes in essence to say, you know these things and everything in between. God, you know every single move I make. So God knows our thoughts, verse 2, before we think them. He knows our words, verse 4, before we speak them. And God knows our moves before we even make them. He is familiar with all our ways, verse 3. Word that's used there to say that God is familiar is uh, the word that would be used to describe how we're familiar with with our habits, like a, a, a habitual knowledge. I mean, you, when you got up this morning and you were getting ready, hopefully you didn't have like a checklist on the wall that told you what you needed to do. And when you got to brush your teeth, you oh yeah, I need to brush my teeth. Hopefully you just did it right because it's part of what you do, or at least. One sitting next to you hope that you brushed your teeth today, right? Or when you got in your car, hopefully you, you just put your seatbelt on without thinking about it because you value your safety. It's something that you do. It's a habit that you do. Friends, God knows us that well. 
That's what the word's saying. God knows us completely. He knows us intimately. He knows us personally. And so when you, when you talk to God, you, you don't enter your account number or like give your address or your, your full legal name. No, God already knows who you are before you pray, before you say hello. He's already expecting your call and he's fully aware of your situation. And so I wonder this morning, is there anything that you're hiding or think that you're hiding from God? Friend, what are you hiding from God in your life? What, what, what are you hiding from, from God? Maybe some secret sin that you've never told anyone about. You certainly don't want to tell the Lord about. Maybe an addiction, an affair, an obsession, a depression, a grudge. Whatever it is, let's stop pretending that God doesn't already know. And let's acknowledge our secrets to the God who who already knows. He knows us completely. He knows us full well. There's absolutely nothing about us that God doesn't already know. No thought, no sin, no talent, no like, no dislike, no temptation, uh, no peculiar component of our personality. You see, when David thinks about how well God knows him, he gets a bit uneasy, I think. Like commentators debate this, or some that read this in different ways, but I, I think that, that David is getting uncomfortable with the all-consuming knowledge of God. For a moment, he's not comforted by God's character, but he's discomforted, which is why he says he's hemmed in, behind and before. He's trapped like a bug on a table in the palm of a hand. There's, there's nowhere that he can go because God knows him too well. God's knowledge is extraordinary. It's incomprehensible. It's amazing. It's beyond human understanding. God knows everything there is to know about us. And when David considers there's no place of privacy from God, he begins to wish, as we often do, that there was a place... There was a place that even God wouldn't see him. And so he says in verse 7, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, God, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, God. So church, not only does does God know us completely, not only does he know us fully, totally, intimately, but God is present with us everywhere we go. He's present with us everywhere we go. That's the message here, I think, of this second stanza. Have have you ever tried to run from, from God? Jonah tried to run from God, didn't he? It didn't go so well. You can't outrun God because you cannot escape God. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. You see, if, if we could somehow launch ourselves to the highest place possible, or dig ourselves to the lowest place imaginable, God would still be there. There's no escaping Him. And so David as he reflects on these truths of God. He looks around and he thinks, if, oh, if only I could ride the rays of the morning sun when it rises in the east and somehow take a trip westward at the speed of light out over the far side of the Mediterranean Sea, maybe then I could escape. No. Even there, verse 10, God, you're with me. North or south, east or west, God, God, you are there. You're present anywhere that I go. One time I was watching... Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Anybody like Shark Week? There's a few of you, yeah. Uh, this particular episode of Shark Week was about uh, the uh, oceanic white tip shark. Uh, that's not one that we hear about very often. You know, we're used to hearing about bull sharks and tiger sharks and great white sharks and maybe hammerhead sharks, but this is an oceanic white tip uh, shark. And it's described as bold and unpredictable and aggressive, opportunistic. Uh, lives out and feeds out in the open ocean, uh, closing in on its prey un- unnoticed. Clearly seeing its, its victims uh, against the backdrop of the moonlit night sky. You see, when the white tips in, in the water, you, you don't see him, apparently. You don't, you don't see him, but he's, he's there. He's there and he sees you like the omnipresent God. Try as you may. You cannot hide from him. We cannot hide from God. You see, as David was trying to think of places to escape God's presence, I think he begins to realize that he wouldn't want to be in those places without the presence of God. And so early on, as David is reflecting on on those uh, the invasive presence of God, he describes being trapped by God's knowledge, trapped by God's hand. Now God's hand is no longer trapping him, but it's guiding him. It's protecting him. It's comforting him. Before he's disturbed, now he's comforted because he realizes that if he was actually in some of these places, he wouldn't want to be there without his God. So day or night, darkness or light, it makes no difference to God Almighty because the one we worship isn't hindered by distance or darkness. He's with us. He's present with us everywhere we go. So no matter what you're going through, friend, be it sickness or sorrow, be it depression or danger, even death, wherever you go, God is with you. He is with us. He has not forsaken you. He will not abandon you. Friend, I don't know what specifically you're going through today. I don't don't know what baggage you bring with you to this gathering this morning. but, But the Lord knows. The one that we're praising. The one that we're hearing from through the word. He he knows. He already, he knows. He, He sees you. 
He cares deeply for you. He loves you and He's with you. Don't run from Him. Simply surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. If you've been running from God, don't run from Him any longer. Let's run to Him. Let's run to Him and find rest for your weary soul. Forgiveness, peace, and comfort await those who run to this God. Apostle Paul would reflect on the love of this God for his children in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. That's good news for those who serve this God. That's good news for those who trust in Him. That's good news for those who run to Him. You see, God's knowledge and His presence is one of love and peace through Jesus for those who know Him, for those whose faith is in Him. An inseparable love of God for us. This is God's character, a character that comforts His people, friend, God knows us and is with us because He made us. He made us. Each and every one of us. And so as David thinks about God's all-consuming knowledge and His His presence everywhere, always with His people, he begins to think about the power of God displayed in In creation, specifically the creation of human life. And so that's where he goes next in verse 13. Let's look back at the text. David says, for you created my inmost being. God, you created my inmost being. You you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. How do I know God knows me completely and that he's with me always? Because he made me. Because he made me, because he knit me together in my mother's womb. In that dark place, in that dark space, long before ultrasounds, God saw me and he fashioned me according to his plan. He's the creator of my life. He's the almighty creator and yet the almighty creator cares deeply for you and for me. He made my inmost being, my spirit. And he made my, my frame, my body. 
He fashioned all of me. His design is good. And if that's what he's done for you and for me, then he's done the same for every single human child conceived in its mother's womb. God's love for human beings. His prized creation is unmatched. He thought about us before we were ever born. Overseeing and superintending the formation of the fetus, our unformed body, verse 16. Planning the days of our lives. Church, before our mothers even knew we were there, God was writing our story. He was laying out the course of our lives. The Lord says it this way to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. This is what the Lord says to his people. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. This is who he is. He is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and he's the almighty creator of your life and mine. Oh, church, what does this mean for God's people in a country in which Roughly 900,000 abortions have happened annually. What does it mean for a church in a state in which roughly 6,000 children are in the foster care system and in need of of loving care? What, What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to be faithful to what the Lord has entrusted to us? And no doubt for some, perhaps it means visiting the lifeline table today and Exploring the possibility of being trained and equipped for foster care. Maybe it means beginning to pray about adoption. Maybe it means volunteering at the local crisis pregnancy center. At the very least, it certainly means that we pray, that we get on our knees, as we've been challenged to do today. What does it mean for Christ followers surrounded by broken lives and broken families? Wrecked by addiction and despair and hopelessness. What does it mean for men and boys tempted to prey upon women and girls enslaved in a multi-billion dollar pornography industry? Church, we have what but one obvious stance. To stand for all human life as precious in the sight of Almighty God. Whether in the womb, the one in crisis carrying the one in the womb, The one next door, the one across town in the hospital on their deathbed or around the world. We must stand for life because we know the author of human life. And so your, your worth, friend, isn't found in your performance. Your value, your, your worth is not found in, uh, your social media posts. And your number of followers, it's not found in your popularity or your pension plan, but in the Almighty God's matchless love for you. His love that led Him to knit you together in your mother's womb, to weave you together in the depths of the earth, to write out the days of your life before you were even born. And think about you even now. He is thinking about you and me even now. Don't you want to praise that kind of God? Let's be a people who praise Him. Let's praise Him with our lives. Let's give Him our lives. Maybe praise Him. Maybe praise the Almighty Creator 
and sustainer and redeemer of life all the days of our lives, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Meaning, everywhere and all the time, God's character comforts his people, leading them, those who know him, those who know this God, to praise him. It's almost as if David's daydreaming about the magnificence of this God. He's overwhelmed with the knowledge and the presence and the personal care of this creator and then snaps out of it, verse 18, saying, when I wake up, I'm still with you. In other words, these truths about you, God, are constant. You are always omniscient. You are always omnipresent. You are always omnipotent. Even when I forget about you, you are still the same God. He says in verse 19, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David's enemies are God's enemies, mockers and murderers aiming to destroy God and his people. And so the point that David is making here in this last stanza is a challenging one. The point that he's making is that his loyalty to God means that God's enemies are also his enemies. His allegiance is to God, longing for God's vindication and God's honor. Of course, in light of our, our Savior's words, in light of Jesus' words, this doesn't mean that we hate the wicked as we think of hate. But it does mean that we oppose their evil. It does mean that we pray for their repentance. It does mean that we long for and cry out for God's justice. It's not about ill will toward the lost, but about complete and total allegiance to God. God is supreme, and because He is supreme, we must serve Him. Serve Him. We must put Him first. First in our hearts. First in our lives. For giving Him any other position fails to see Him for who He really is. So surrender to Him. Trust in Him, bow before Him, serve Him, follow Him, for there is no one like Him. And He knows us. And He's with us. And He cares for us. And if you know Him, then these truths about who He is will ultimately be a comfort to you. God's character comforts his people. But the reality is, if you don't know him, if he is not your Lord, if your faith isn't 
in him, then these truths, the truths of this text, ought to unsettle you with a divine nausea, a holy discomfort that prods you under the prompting of the Holy Spirit to confess your failures to the knowing and the seeing and the caring creator, seeking reconciliation with him. So let me ask you this morning, are you comforted or convicted by God's character? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friend, welcome God's conviction. Welcome His conviction and His correction as signs of His grace. Calling for repentance before it's too late. What is the way everlasting? David says, lead me in the way everlasting. Well, it's the kind of life that honors God and lasts forever. And even though each of us has dishonored him, we all have, deserving separation from him, deserving spiritual death, eternal death, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Church, God's character is one of grace. A character that comforts his people, the kind of character that led the father to knit his only son together in Mary's womb in order that this one might grow up to lay down his life as the only perfect sacrifice, the only sinless life for me and for you. What a mighty and what a merciful God. Amen. Oh God, you are worthy of praise. You are the almighty creator of heaven and earth. There is no one like you. God, you stand apart and above. You're worthy to be praised. You're in a category all by yourself. You have always been. You are right now and you forever will be. Lord, you reign. You rule and you reign on high. You are the sovereign one. And yet you care for us. Yet you consider us. Yet you have created us in your image. Lord, you have fashioned each of us together in our mother's womb. Intimately, intricately, Lord, you know us. You know us and you've laid out the course of our lives. You have called us to be your people. Lord, you have, you have given us life. And you sustain our lives. And oh Father, you have sent your Son to redeem our lives. That we might have perfect and permanent peace with you. Oh Spirit, convict us where we're in error. Oh Spirit, confront us where we're apathetic. Correct us where we're wrong that we might confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful and just, God, and you will forgive us. You always do. 
And you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, help us to praise you and to lay our lives before you. To follow Christ. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.